Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by David Guilford, principal at HRNA Advisors and co-founder of the Broadband Equity Partnership, a consultancy focused on ending the digital divide. The Broadband Equity Partnership recently wrapped up a national survey on local priorities for a national broadband stimulus. David and I discussed the results of that survey and the key takeaways for Congress as they begin to build legislation around the Biden administration's $100 billion broadband infrastructure plan. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Nicole, thanks for having me. It's great great to be here. So tell me a little bit about the Broadband Equity Partnership. What are your objectives and who do you work with? So the Broadband Equity Partnership is a mission-driven advisory and program management um, organization that's focused exclusively on closing the digital divide. And we we started this last year really in as a result of the sort of the, the pressing need that we were seeing from cities and local governments. Um, this we formed this with um, HRNA advisors, where I'm a principal, where we'd been advising cities on complex economic development issues, real estate, other challenges for over 40 years. Um, and together with our partners at CTC Technology and Energy, we've been working with um, a number of cities on, on broadband strategies, including um, supporting New York City's internet master plan that was released in January 2020. And we just saw a real need to, um, to, to help cities and states and localities think holistically about how to invest in and create programs that, would, that, that could close the digital divide. Okay, um, great. So uh, the Broadband Equity Partnership recently conducted a national survey um, on local priorities for a national broadband stimulus. So tell me a bit about the survey. What were you setting out to learn and what did you learn? So of course, the digital divide is a, a topic people have been talking about for you know, at least 20 years now at this yes. point. But um, I, I feel like in you know, last year, COVID revealed things that a lot of us have, have known as has been the case for, for quite a while, but really brought to the forefront the the urgency of, of solving the digital divide. Mm-hmm. And what that's meant from, from a federal perspective is that there's, for the first time in, in quite a while, the stars really aligning in terms of meaningful policy changes, funding, at the same time, there's new technology um, that's, that's become available. And so as, as Congress and the Biden-Harris administration were starting to think about new funding following last year's COVID relief bills, um, we were hearing from the cities that we were talking with that there was both an excitement about this as well as a concern about what future programs would look like and would they mm-hmm. actually be different this time around? Because I think you know the if we're if the billions of dollars that are being dedicated to this now at the, at the national government, if that grows to the hundred billion dollars, for example, that's being discussed about at the moment, yeah. this is opportunity to really close the, the the divide. But it also means this is this is an opportunity that doesn't come around more more than once. And so I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot as like how electrification was in, in the 1930s, yeah. that if if we're able to deploy this this capital in a way that really connects everyone, I'm hoping hopeful that people look back at this decade as a time um, after which you could really take internet access for granted because it really is such fundamental to participation in, in, in modern life. Um, but what this meant is that there was a, a concern that the, the design of the programs might have unintended consequences or might be too rigid or favor you know, one technology over another. And so we were, we were really curious to learn from um, from the people who work most closely on these problems at the at the state and local level, what they were seeing as their own priorities, what they were hoping for from from new federal legislation, and what um, what recommendations they might have that could inform that could inform the debate and development of new programs. 
So we surveyed over 120 local leaders from across the country, over 18 states, and these are people that some of whom sat in specific broadband offices, others were in economic development, others were in um, planning and information technology, and we, we learned a number of things. And I'd start with the learning the things that we learned the digital divide is not. Um, and it's it's really not something where it's urban versus rural. Clearly mm-hmm. there's a digital divide in, in both and there's some differences in what needs to be solved. But across uh, across the full range of urban and rural respondents, we saw commonalities in the need for more local control and whether it's around you know, how programs actually get implemented or to better understanding the, the local needs and who is served and who isn't served, that there's um, that, that local perspectives really are seen as critical. And sort of similarly, it's not a Republican versus Democrat issue. We you know we got roughly 50-50 split um, in terms of respondents from, from counties that, that voted for um, Republicans versus Democrats in the last election. Um, and all of which again had this sort of this this, this shared um, focus both on the importance of the problem, but also that that local control is um, is fundamental. And also that it's not a you know, one technology versus another. It's not. It's easy to get caught up in a debate about fiber versus 5G versus satellite and, and so forth, but um, but really that there need to be sort of tailored um, approaches, and that cities are at different levels. Cities and states are at very different levels in terms of the planning that they've done, their their local capacity for implementing programs, the data that they have or do not have about about the about the problem. Um, but what we, what we did find is that. There was clear consensus in addition to the need for, for more local control is that your basic infrastructure is essential and 88% of respondents prioritize fiber infrastructure as one of their as one of their top priorities, but also realizing mm-hmm. that that's not enough. And of course that you know, access is, is one thing, having fiber into your block is helpful, but if you don't actually, you're not able to actually get connected, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter because for you, you're, you, you're not connected. Um, and also a, a desire for working with new types of partners and new models. So we saw twice as many respondents saying that they were they were confident in smaller internet service providers and new entrants to make a difference versus the incumbents that they had more experience working with. Um, economic development also came up as a really central theme. So you know, we heard from from people who said things like that. You know, we we finally realized that this is not an not an IT department issue. This is really about the the competitiveness of, of our city, and it's also an equity issue. And there, that was reflected in in the confidence that was expressed in local economic development authorities to be able to use and channel federal funds to effectively close the digital divide. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then last, I, I'd say is that there's just a need for better understanding at the local level. Uh, better data is really needed. Whether this is with rural communities that felt like they did not get the funding and attention that they that they think they need because of the way that data collected made it seem like they were well served, even if they you know they knew better and 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 saw that um, the extent of, of the local need, or in urban communities where understanding, you know, particularly in um, among communities of color, um, lower income areas, residents of affordable housing, that there were gaps that were not reflected in a lot of the data that people are using at the national level to make to make mm-hmm. decisions. So we're yeah we're seeing some of this being addressed already. The FCC launched a task force to reevaluate how it's doing mapping, um, and there are certainly some bills emerging in Congress um, that address. Uh, s- several of the objectives that you're you're talking about and that you saw in your survey. Um, a couple of questions for you around the, the national ISPs and, and the direction of funding. Um, 
maybe just directly, why can't the national ISPs uh, carry out um, these builds in the areas? Why should it be the local providers? And secondly, do you think that we can successfully shift the way that funding is distributed without you know, an overhaul of lobbying laws or a repeal of the filibuster? Um, do, are you feeling optimistic about getting this done? These are excellent questions that I don't have all the answers to at this point, but certainly oh, on the fair yeah. enough. <laughs> but certainly on the yeah to the to the first point, I think that there's um, there's a there's a bit of a frustration just generally in that you know, and I wouldn't I wouldn't put this all on on the ISPs, but just that the you know after after years and in some cases decades of work at the um, or concern at the local level. Um, a lot of local jurisdictions have found that they don't have the ability to effectively engage with some of the larger firms to get um, the, the types of service that, that they're looking for. And whether that's because of just sort of traditional profit motivations where you know infrastructure gets built out where there are sort of the highest potential in terms of revenue generation, or if it's something sort of more, more structural in terms of the, um, the kind of entrenchment of, of the status quo. There's, I think, a, just a, an overarching desire for new approaches and new ideas that's that's born out of out of that frustration, and whether it ends up being that the you know that the, the larger ISP is in partnership with um, with newer entrants are able to make a difference, or if it's entirely um, entirely new SP, ISPs that are that are able to to come in and to and to make an impact, um, I think that across the across the country we're seeing a uh, an eagerness for having more people at the table and that's that's both new isps but it's also philanthropy we also mm -hmm. saw sort of similar level of confidence that if philanthropic institutions were to get involved in the community they would also be able to make make a, a, a difference in the divide you know, again reflecting that this is not just infrastructure it's also about um, education it's about access to devices it's really uh, it's really something that requires a kind of all all members of the community to, to play a role in, in truly closing the digital divide as just opposed to saying that each census block has a, an ISP available. The second part, the second part of the question, which I wish I had a crystal ball on is, is what will this look like in, in terms of DC politics and whether, you know, whether um, action will actually be able to, um, uh, to really change, change the approach here. You know, one, one bill in particular that I'm that I'm watching that I'm that I'm optimistic about is something that you know, isn't isn't so much about the infrastructure as we typically think about it as sort of fiber that's that's connecting to the home, but looking particularly in um, within buildings, particularly affordable housing, where this is really um, a significant a significant, a significant challenge. That um, Representative Bowman is introducing legislation that would classify broadband as an essential utility for residents of um, government subsidized affordable housing, just as um, electricity and, and water and heat are today. Um, and that would, I think, do a, a number of things. One, it would, it would re remove this, um, this challenge or in some cases excuse that um, you'll often hear of why certain neighborhoods are, are underserved, which is that either they're you know, concerned about the, the take rate, the percentage of residents that will sign up for service, or um, the kind of credit worthiness and, and credit quality. And I think that that's, you know, that's had a very um, negative effect on, um, you know, particularly communities of color where being unable to access the internet has meant a lack of access, particularly over the past year, to education, to healthcare, to, to job opportunities. And so that, that bill, I think, could could significantly uh, could significantly address that challenge, in part too because it includes thinking about 
retrofitting buildings themselves, which is something that you know, we've seen success on from an energy efficiency perspective, but by thinking about upgrading the wiring within buildings, that could have both a economic development benefit in terms of the sort of direct job impact, but would enable it to be much easier for any ISP, whether an incumbent or a wireless ISP or any, any new entrant to be able to reach into the units rather than having to, um, to, to deal with, in some cases, 30 year old conduit and coaxial cable that is really not suited for delivering high speed, um, high speed service that meets today's needs. Yeah, I was excited to see that that bill from Representative Bowman as well. So I'm looking forward to, to keeping track of that one. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the federal funding that's already come out. Um, the CARES Act, um, through the CARES Act, the states were able to commit a lot of funding to broadband. We've recently seen the rural digital the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund wrap up phase one. Um, so I'd love to hear from you if you know about any particular projects um, that have launched or are, are getting ready to launch as a result of that federal funding. Um, and I just love your perspective on um, the way that funding was dispersed in general. Um, the CARES Act, uh, you know, had some stipulations around timing. Um, how, how did that work out in your opinion? And, and what's your take on the winners of, of the RDOF? So to start with the, the, the CARES Act, of course, you know, at the, the timing when the CARES Act came out, cities were facing unprecedented challenges across the board from the public mm -hmm. health emergency to, to, to job loss and, and, and so forth. And those, those municipalities that were able to use CARES Act funding for broadband typically already had some sort of plan that they had at least envisioned in, because of the timing stipulations. So that the having to turn around a, a program in under a year when we're talking about things that often involve infrastructure is, is really challenging. So I think the most common broadband related use of those funds was around providing access to students who are, who are having to do remote learning. So distribution of hotspot devices using mobile networks, things like that. I think that we're able to, to, to make, make a significant impact in this in this real emergency that that cities were in um, the challenge there is that now a year later there if the, if that funding runs out you're not left with any usable infrastructure you have you know, devices where you could if you could find the, the the you know the 30 or 40 or 50 bucks a month to keep paying per you know, per user to to keep that service operating um, that then that's great but you haven't really invested for for the long term and to some extent that's the the nature of an emergency relief bill and I understand why there was that that timing but the cities that that were able to to think a little bit further ahead I think show examples of what what this may look like with with future bills where there's both you know still an urgency of, of, of investing the money as, as quickly as possible but also the benefit of having seen what has worked and not worked over the past year so I look at the city of Tucson which has recently launched a, a pretty innovative program where they're essentially building their own wireless network using CBRS spectrum to be able to provide um, wireless service to, to to students you know including including at home in a way that that doesn't require the same level of um, just sort of ongoing subsidy to a traditional um, to a traditional uh, mobile plan that, uh, that 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 was generally the case. And so, as you think about how that what that looks like, if there's more funding and more time available, the, I think the cities that have that have already identified and quantified the need are going to be in a position to actually build out you know, um, you know community wireless infrastructure, which I'm I'm particularly excited about because it's something that 
you know, is, is happening, you know, has been happening in, in some cases for, for decades at the very local level with organizations like, you know, in, in Detroit, the Community Technology Program, um, you know, in Cleveland, the foundations in terms of um, Digital C, working with the local housing authority, I think have done, have done great things. But now that if, you, if, you, if you're able to take billions of dollars at a national scale, there's an opportunity still in a relatively short period of time to build out networks that are going to be useful, not just for, you know, for a year or two, but really for, from the foundation of, of, long, of, of longer, term, uh, long, longer term infrastructure for the, for the city. You know, one of the one of the survey results, which I alluded to earlier, was that sort of frustration that um, in in some cases that RDOF was targeted based on data that cities or you know or that you know counties felt was um, incomplete or misleading in terms of the the extent of of the need. Uh, I think it's a little bit too soon to judge the success or or failure of of, of RDOF, but I know that there's been you know there's been a debate about technologies and speed and just fixed wireless actually able to provide some of the, the, the claimed speeds? You know, what's the role of something like Starlink in, in rural connectivity? You know, I, one thing that I, that I do like about RDOF is it wasn't trying to pick um, you know, explicit technologies um, you know, up front, um, which, which I think, to the, again, back to the survey findings, was sort of reflective of the fact that there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all solution, whether it's differences in topography, population, location, density, what are the, the, the real needs of users. Um, I, I think that I, I think I'm optimistic that the lessons from RDOF over the next year or two are going to find um, a more receptive um, audience federally to be able to tailor this to, uh, to, to whatever the, the next auctions look like. Gotcha. So um, last question for you then is what are your plans and, and priorities for the broadband equity partnership for the rest of this year? So from the results of, of the survey, one, one thing that's clear is that there are about a third of the, of the jurisdictions that we talked to that already have a plan that they're excited to move forward with and they've been waiting for funding. So as funding becomes unlocked through these, these bills, we're really excited to, to, support, um, to support cities in the implementation of those, of those plans. You know, one, one thing to highlight is that, um, as I mentioned, you know, we've been involved in, um, in New York City's work on the Internet Master Plan. Um, earlier this month, the the city released what they're calling the Universal Solicitation for Broadband, which is providing up to $157 million in, in capital funding focused on sort of the city's areas of greatest needs. Um, and that RFP is closing April 19th. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what results from that. The, the city's offering more than 100,000 assets across the city, rooftops and poles and things like that, and seeking creative solutions. So I do think that the, the next few months are going to, are really going to show what um, what it, what is possible as as people now are are thinking about this from this position of momentum at the federal level, coupled with in some cases decades of of planning work on on the ground. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. I hope you'll come back and keep us posted on your work. Thanks, Nicole. It was really really a pleasure. I appreciate uh, the work that you're doing in, in in sharing stories about the digital divide. Thank you so much, David Guilford, for your time. And thank you to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.